Amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Hey, if it's your first time with us today, we, we're so glad you're here. Um, you know, next week we, we have the opportunity and privilege to be able to celebrate uh, our, very, our second birthday, uh, which is really exciting for us. Um, you know, we, don't, we, don't celebrate, uh, we don't celebrate a birthday just to uh, <laughs> praise New City, right? We, we celebrate God's faithfulness. You know, God has been so faithful in the life of our church. Uh, and so next week, we're, we just take a moment to stop and just remember God's faithfulness in the life of our church, uh, and just to, to, to spur us on and to trust Him for His future faithfulness. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 7. Um, and as you're turning there, I want to draw your attention to something that um, I'm guessing you've experienced. <laughs> uh, y'all, life can just seem chaotic, <laughs> like utter chaos at times, right? I know it's not always this way because, yes, there are slow seasons, there's restful seasons, and we, we're thankful for those. We absolutely need them. Uh, but when we get back into the routine of life and the vacation is over, uh, things can seem overwhelming and maybe a bit crazy. I know for many of us right now, uh, the semester has officially started. Kids are back in school. Lunches need to be packed. Homework and schedules uh, need to be kept up with. All the Q1 goals for work uh, are set in place, and the slowness of life around the holidays are gone, uh, and we're right back into the swing of things. Uh, And with it can come the feeling uh, of just chaos. I know maybe this past week, uh, you've been overwhelmed uh, with just general life challenges, or maybe... Uh, You're not so overwhelmed with general life, but maybe you're confused and overwhelmed with your spiritual life. Uh, And maybe you have a ton of questions wondering, why does God do this this way? Or why is Jesus, or who is Jesus really? Uh, Maybe intellectually you know a few things about Jesus, but you're still full of questions. You know, I'm sure this is true for both Christians and also people who have not yet put their trust in Jesus. You know, I remember going to seminary. Excited to learn with a ton of questions about the Bible. And during that time, God really uh, grew me and strengthened my faith. Uh, Yes, I came away with a lot of answers, but left with a lot of questions. Uh, But but as we get into the second half of John 7, uh, we'll start to see that this is the chapter full of both questions and chaos. You know, last week we highlighted the unbelief of the brothers and the crowd and the religious leaders, but this week we're going to highlight the chaos and the questions of the crowd, but contrasting it with the calmness and confidence of Jesus to bring life and stability in the midst of our questions and chaotic lives, which brings us to our main idea. Jesus gives life in our questions and chaos. Jesus gives life, is our source of life in our questions and chaos. You all have no doubt about it. Uh, that this idea will resonate with every single person in this room at some level. You know, just like we saw last week, we all experience seasons of doubt and unbelief. We all go through uh, times and seasons with a ton of questions for God and about God, maybe angry at God or confused with God, just asking why a lot. And like I've, I've already said, at times life can just seem extremely chaotic, uh, whether it's with kids or work or family or friends or school or finances or major life decisions or for crying out loud, <laughs> the laundry and the dishes, they just like never end, right? I mean, it, but as we think about our chaotic lives and all of our questions, we'll see today that Jesus is there. He sees it all and he is the source of calmness and peace. Jesus is a non-anxious presence in the middle of all the chaos and questions. You know, that phrase non-anxious presence comes from Rabbi Dr. Friedman, but it's perfectly embodied by Jesus himself. 
There's no doubt about it. In times of chaos and upheaval and questions, a non-anxious presence creates calmness. Y'all, the last thing an anxious person needs is another anxious person to feed their anxiety. (laughs) No, rather they need a source of calmness. Like when a child or an adult is panicked or scared, uh, something like a simple hug from a calm source, like a parent or a friend, will help in some way ease their nerves and fears. They're a non-anxious source for a person in need. And as the body of Christ, as followers of Jesus, we have the privilege to be that for each other. But more importantly, as followers of Christ, we'll see today, we have a never-ending source of life and calmness in our chaos and questions. And it is Jesus himself. And y'all, we need this. People around us need this. And our world, it desperately needs this. We, we need a non-anxious presence in our chaos. Yes, we can certainly get that and receive that from people, but we all know people can't be with us all the time. But Jesus himself, he is an unlimited source of a non-anxious presence for us. And so that said, for our time today, we're going to contrast, number one, the questions and chaos of the crowd with number two, Jesus as the source of life. But, but before we get into the second half of John 7, I want to set up the scene for our passage because John 6 and 7 are better understood all together um, as one big picture. Both chapters, chapter 6 and chapter 7, together. You know, last week I mentioned the story of Exodus uh, and that it was kind of on their hearts and minds going into the Feast of Booths in Jerusalem, which is where everybody uh, basically got tents in the celebration. They camped out all throughout Jerusalem under the stars and they remembered and celebrated God's faithfulness to Israel in the, Isra- in the, in the wilderness uh, during the Exodus. And if you look back at John chapter 6, we saw Jesus feed 5,000 people, showing himself as the bread of life, drawing from the time in the wilderness uh, when God provided bread from heaven, he provided manna. We see that in Exodus. But not only that, when Jesus walks on water and John 6 comes in and says, it is I, do not be afraid, which we saw is better translated as I am, do not be afraid, which also comes from the story of the Exodus when God speaks to Moses as the I am in Exodus chapter 3. And as we continue throughout the book of John, we'll continue to see more of Jesus referring to himself as the great I am, which uh, shows, shows us that he's not only powerful, but Jesus is also deeply personal. That he not only can perform miracles and healings, but he also deeply cares for us and that he is with us. You know, it's one thing for God to be powerful uh, but for him to also be personal and with us. Y'all, that is a complete game changer. And in John 6 and in John chapter 7, Jesus is starting to show these things, and he's drawing from the book of Exodus. And as we get into the second half of John 7, as you remember, we noticed last week that there, were, there was some tension with Jesus and the crowds here in Jerusalem. We saw Jesus go into Jerusalem with this big celebration going on, uh, kind of tense all over the city, and he walks into the temple, and he started teaching. And many were amazed at his teaching. Some liked him, but some thought he was deceiving people, and some wanted him arrested and killed, which I think we can agree uh, makes for a bit of a tense situation. There's a lot of chaos here. I mean, showing up into a city crowded with people where many of the leaders want you dead, I don't know about you, but for me, going to teach in a major public space in that city, that would not be my first choice, okay? I would, uh, if I knew people wanted me dead in a city, you better believe I'd be as far away from that city as humanly possible. Like there's no way I'd show myself there. 
But guess what? Jesus, a non-anxious presence, is utterly fearless because he's God and he's there. Uh, For whatever reason, the picture I have in my head uh, with this whole scene is like Jack Sparrow from Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, except he's not a thief or pirate. Um, No, he's infinitely a holy God. And before I keep getting myself in trouble uh, as Jesus, with Jesus as Jack Sparrow, um, I'm going to keep moving. So look starting in verse 25 as we pick up in the middle of John 7. <laughs> so, uh, look at verse 25. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? Seeing immediately the beginning of, number one, the questions and chaos of the crowd. Again, y'all, there's, there's so many questions throughout this chapter. In fact, if you go back and look, there are 20 questions And Jesus is asking questions, the crowd, the brothers, the leaders, everybody is asking questions. Jesus asks questions to make everybody think and consider uh, what they truly believe, but everybody else is asking questions about Jesus because they're trying to figure out who this guy really is. And if you go and look back at all the questions, most of the questions can be summed up with one question, and it's who is Jesus? Like, who is this man? They're trying to figure it out. Because in this chapter, it seems like nobody knows who's who and what's what. And not only that, as we, saw, as we saw in verse 25, some people are like, wait a second, isn't this the guy that they're trying to kill? And then look at verse 26. And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities realize or really know that this is the Christ? It's like, wait a second, uh, they want to kill you, but yet you're right here. <laughs> like, what in the world is going on? Like, do they, do they know that you're the Christ? They've been, uh, they've been waiting for. Do they know that they've been waiting for you? But we also know there's, there's confusion because look at verse 27. But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. They're like, wait a second, okay? Uh, we're not supposed to know where the Messiah came from, but we know where you came from. Uh, and so they're just confused. And they're not the only ones confused about where he came from. If you skip down uh, in John chapter 7, if you skip down to, John, to verse 40, and 40 to 44, this is what you see. You see the same questions brought up again. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David uh, and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. Again, more more questions, more confusion, more chaos, trying to figure out who Jesus truly is. They think, uh, wait, Jesus, you're from Galilee, which he was, uh, but yet the Christ is supposed to be born from the offspring of David and come from Bethlehem, which we know was where he was born. And look back at what Jesus does, picking back up, uh, going further up in, in, in verse 28. Picking back up uh, in, in 28. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him uh, you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. He's basically saying here that he, he came from God, that God sent him. And then look at uh, verses 30 to 31, right after that. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Again, many believed and many did not, but in all of it, uh, nobody laid a hand on him. It was complete chaos, people trying to kill him, but not being able to. And why? Well, it's because Jesus is completely sovereign. He sees all and he knows all. 
They could only do what God would allow them to do, and it wasn't yet time for Jesus to die. And his hour of death, it was certainly coming, but not at this moment. It wasn't yet his time. Look at verse 32. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. The crowd was muttering. Uh, They were quietly grumbling, which should draw our attention to the grumbling and muttering of Israel in the Exodus story. When Israel was grumbling and complaining and mad at God and wanted to go back to Egypt where God just rescued them from, and here the crowd and leaders were confused and questioning God, wondering who Jesus was, just like Israel in the wilderness in the Exodus story. They didn't understand. And maybe you today have felt this at times. You know, as soon as God doesn't do exactly what we think he should do in the way we want it to be done, we're often far too quick to question God. And may we remember that faith innately uh, by nature will not understand all things. We won't see and know everything. This is the nature of faith. And that's what's happening here in John 7. They're questioning Jesus. Some are trying to figure out who he is in an exploratory way. We see that some believe, but then also some are questioning his goodness and legitimacy, and they're ready to kill him and to write him off. And maybe that's where you are today, in a place ready to write off Jesus. And let me say to that, I know life can be really hard at times. We don't always understand it all. We don't always see the full picture, but I do know one thing to be true. Jesus sees it. Jesus knows it, and he is incredibly powerful, and he is also deeply personal, and he sees you, and he loves you, and he is holding on to you. If you have placed your faith, he is holding on to you. Jesus wants to be your non-anxious presence in the middle of your chaos and questions. So let's go ahead and Uh, keep reading in verse 33 to 36 and continue with all of these questions in John 7. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying you will seek me and you will not find me and where I am, you cannot come? For whatever reason, the first thought that came to my mind when I read this is it seems like Jesus is trying to play a game of hide and seek. (laughs) Uh, But that's not what he's doing. He's referring to where he will go later after his crucifixion. Again, so of course, uh, they're confused. And they'll skip down to verses 45 to 52 and end the chapter uh, to end our long list of questions and chaos. It's the last long section we've got to read. Okay, The officers uh, then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Y'all, it's utter chaos. (laughs) The officers are confused. Uh, They can't figure out why Jesus is so hard to catch. The people are divided. They're in a big uproar, and everybody is questioning everything. And what I find so interesting about all of this is that this scene, this is the scene that surrounds one of Jesus' greatest 
teaching moments. The setting for one of Jesus' foundational teachings that we, often, uh, that we use often, it was surrounded by chaos and confusion. And this should be no surprise to us because as a general life principle, some of the best teaching moments and opportunities for growth come in the classroom of hardship, chaos, and confusion. Just like in the Exodus, Israel learned God's sustaining faithfulness and provision that they intellectually knew about, but God saw it fit to send them to the wilderness and to go to uh, what we can maybe reference as Wilderness University. To not just know it intellectually, but to also know it experientially. And you know what? We know that they grumbled and they complained throughout the entire wilderness experience. But yet, here at the Feast of Booths, we see them now celebrating it. Seeing that God's incredible provision and faithfulness was put on display against the backdrop of a hard wilderness experience. And and y'all, whether we like it or not, this is often the way God works. Our greatest seasons of growth and deeper understanding of God are best known in some of our hardest days. I know this is true of my own life. We all go through seasons of questions and confusion uh, when things seem often chaotic, uh, like you're caught up in a whirlwind wondering if God is doing anything because you can't see it or you don't understand it or you just don't like it. But then looking back on it, after it, you can sometimes see what God was doing. You know, I remember as a high school kid um, in the 10th grade, completely broken, literally on the floor crying because all of my best friends at the time, none of them were walking with the Lord. And I wanted to walk with the Lord, but it was really hard. I felt alone, like, God, what are you doing? Why, is, why does my life seem to be falling apart? Completely questioning God and his goodness because I loved all of my friends and I knew I needed friends because it was without a doubt one of the hardest, darkest seasons of my life and I felt totally alone in it. But yet in God's kindness, over the next two years, God slowly put people in my life to walk with Jesus together. And to this day... <laughs> Some of my best friends are from those high school years where God completely changed my life after a significant life wilderness. You know, there are so many questions we've seen throughout this entire chapter, but at the very core, as I've mentioned, most of these questions derive from the question, who truly is Jesus? Like, can he be trusted? Or is he a deceiver like we saw? Or is he truly who he says he is? Is he Jesus, the Son of God, who came to take away the sin of the world? And I know that there are many in our lives, and maybe some with us today, that might be asking these questions. Maybe you know a few things about Jesus, but you're just filled with questions. Some, I'm sure, are really good questions. We all have them, and there are probably good answers to many of them. And it's really good for us to wrestle with these questions. Having dialogue and just discussion. Maybe there's confusion about some of the topics, like the religious leaders were confused with where Jesus was born and his lineage. And yes, it's helpful for those things to be straightened out as well. But I also know, and I'm making a pretty good guess, I think, that actually many of our questions oftentimes are a cover-up for a deeper, different issue. Again, I'm not talking about legitimate questions. there's, There's a good reason to dialogue about good questions and a lot of questions, and we need to do that. Because follow me here, what's interesting If you go back and look at all of the questions, you'd see that the questions they asked about Jesus weren't truly the deeper issue. 
But rather, just like we saw last week, y'all, they didn't want to believe in Jesus. And not because they didn't have answers to the questions, but rather because Jesus claimed authority over their life, which would change everything for them. They would have to relinquish all of their control and authority and worship Jesus. And for the authorities at the time, rejecting and killing Jesus seemed like the easier option because they didn't want to hand over their authority. Because if you really think about it, when you look at the life of Jesus, there's actually very little evidence of anything he did that would actually discredit his divinity from an intellectual standpoint. Yes, I know there are things that people will raise and those are good to talk about. But when we really drill down to it, the reason most people don't want to follow Jesus, who have heard the gospel and understand it, it's likely not an intellectual problem. But rather, more than likely, it's an authority problem. And you know what the best antidote and answer is to this authority issue? It's not to debate harder and answer all their intellectual questions because they really won't matter anyways. You know, I love apologetics. I taught it. I study it. I use it. I find it helpful at times. But more often than not, better apologetics isn't what people need for all of their questions. But rather, they need a bigger picture of who Jesus truly is. And maybe that's you today or someone you know. And a ton of questions have been answered, realizing it's not an intellectual problem, but really it's an authority problem. Because you know what's interesting? In this entire chapter, with all of these questions that are raised... Jesus actually answers very few of the questions that were asked. At least they weren't recorded. But rather, what does he do? Jesus speaks to and displays the incredible reason he's worth following. He doesn't debate them for who he is and answer all of their questions. No, he wows them with who he is. He shows them why he's worth following and why he's worth submitting all of their authority over to. There comes a point when we don't need more answers to our questions. No, we need to have our eyes open to the power and to the intimate care that Jesus has for our life, which is what Jesus does so powerfully in this chapter. Leading us to our second point, number two, Jesus as the source of life. Because in the, in the middle of this entire chapter of questions and chaos with people questioning Jesus and wanting to kill him, Jesus does something very profound and bold, showing us a non-anxious presence in an extremely chaotic situation. Again, remember this scene. They're at the Feast of Booths, remembering and celebrating God's provision and faithfulness in the wilderness. Everyone was dressed to impress. Some were wanting to capture and kill Jesus. And on the final day, the last day, the biggest day, a day when everybody was around, it was the climax of the festival where the priest would come in and draw water from a pool and carry it in a pitcher to the altar when everybody was watching and waiting for him to pour the water out as a time to remember God's provision of water in the, in the desert during the Exodus. Everybody was there, remembering the thirst of Israel in the wilderness, in the desert. We've all been there, y'all. Thirsty, searching for water, looking for it, desperate for it. And when it comes and we get it, y'all, it's like a cold, incredibly satisfying tree. I don't know what it is, but tap water just has never tasted so good when you're really thirsty. That's the satisfaction Israel experienced in the desert when God provided water for them. And here they are, celebrating God's provision, all with the quenching satisfaction of water on their mind, and at a perfectly timed moment, knowing exactly what he's doing, as we read in verse 37, this is what it says. 
On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Again, may, uh, may we not forget at this moment, Jesus has a death wish out for him. And among a huge crowd waiting with quiet expectation and watching, I imagine here the crowd, just kind of everyone sitting down, waiting for some, almost like someone giving, uh, waiting to give a speech. Uh, and there's a quiet and reverent anticipation so they could all hear people whispering, kind of trying to keep the kids quiet. And then all of a sudden, Jesus, with a death wish on him, in the middle of this quiet anticipation, it says he stood up and cried out. He yelled. <laughs> at the climax of the celebration and says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Y'all, what a bold thing to do. But I don't want to miss this opportunity to say that this is what Jesus is saying to each of us today. In the middle of all of our questions and chaos, he calls us to come to him and drink. New City, don't miss this. Jesus says to you, to me, right now, Come to him and drink and be satisfied. Because he will satisfy your thirsty soul. And then he said after that in verse 38, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In John 6, he told them to feast on him, and they didn't like it. Now he's telling them to drink from them, from him. Uh, Jesus, in this moment, he's fearless because he knows all and sees all and is obeying the, uh, God the Father who sent him. But yet in his fearlessness, he sees a crowd of people that he knows are thirsty. Not a physical thirst like in the wilderness, but there's a spiritual thirst. They have a longing. There's a panting and a desire to have their souls quenched. He looks out and he sees a spiritually thirsty crowd. If you remember back in John 4... You know, Jesus said that something very similar to the woman at the well, who was an outcast in her community and had many failed marriages. But the difference between the woman at the well and this crowd was that the woman at the well, she knew her soul was thirsty and she longed for it. But Jesus knows that this crowd, many of them are dying of thirst and they don't even know it. Jesus, in this moment, is using, an old te- he's using Old Testament prophetic language that this crowd would know all too well. Isaiah 55, 1, uh, against the backdrop of a long book of hardship and calamity and difficulty with much questioning and chaos, Isaiah says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 2.13 says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Jesus is crying out to them that he is the fountain of living water, that he is the source they need that will satisfy them. The crowds know this language. They get it. But yet Jesus knows that many will reject them and turn to broken cisterns, that many of them will turn to different sources that won't satisfy them. The Pharisees and the religious leaders were going to the source of knowledge and power and control to find satisfaction, seeking to control their life, controlling their circumstances, doing whatever they can to maintain their authority. All the while, the fountain of living water that they were told about, they knew about and studied was right in front of them. But because of their inability to let it let go and submit, they missed this incredible gift that was right in front of their face. Y'all, they didn't want to drink from Jesus, the living water. They wanted to straight up kill him. The very source that would satisfy them forever 
they were trying to completely destroy that source. Jesus knows that this crowd was thirsty and that he is what they need, knowing that he is God in the flesh and that they need to come to him and drink. And when they come to him and drink, it says, as we've read, out of their heart will flow rivers of living water. New City Church, drinking from the river of Jesus is a deep and never-ending river that will always satisfy us. It's not just one small trickle, not just like a small stream. No, it says rivers, like multiple rivers of living water will come out, an overflowing abundance of rivers. We, we don't have like a small parched stream. No, we, ha- we have a source of rushing rivers to parch our thirsty souls. And I love this next verse, verse 39, because the author takes this theoretical idea <laughs> that can seem hard to grasp, and Jesus, ta- uh, and Jesus makes this teaching very clear for us. Look what he says in verse 39. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So at this dramatic moment, the crowd did not fully understand what Jesus was doing. I mean, how are they to drink water from Jesus, a man? He know, uh, we know some believed it, but didn't fully understand it. And it wasn't until later, after Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, when all of this fully made sense. Because at this moment, Jesus was on earth. They could see him, and he could stand beside them. But Jesus wasn't yet inside of them. He had not yet entered their hearts like the Spirit does. And when Jesus died... But when Jesus died and rose from the dead, all those who believe in Jesus receive the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit into our hearts. And it's the Holy Spirit that is our never-ending source. The Holy Spirit is what brings peace in chaos. The Holy Spirit is what brings joy in our trial. The Holy Spirit is what brings patience and kindness in our difficulty. The Holy Spirit inside of us is a source of never-ending full life. It's a source of power and comfort. And may we not forget that the fire of the Holy Spirit is sparked, ignited, and lit by the power of God's Word. The Word of God is the fuel for the Spirit to work. The Holy Spirit is what enters into our hearts and secures us and holds us and changes us and works through us and in us, uh, but it's never void of the truth of God's Word. Y'all, again, if we have trusted in Jesus, there is a never-ending source of life that we have never-ending access to. You know what's fascinating about John 7? Much of life, I think if we're honest at times, can uh, look like much of this chapter. This chapter is filled with doubt and unbelief, filled with questions about God, full of just utter chaos. But yet in John 7, right in the middle of all of it, we see a calm, non-anxious presence in Jesus. We see a source of life and calmness in all the questions and chaos. And what Jesus shows us in this chapter with his fearlessness and boldness and calming, confident trust, he shows us if we are following Jesus, we have a continuous, ongoing, daily access to an eternal well, river of living water that can provide peace and calmness in our questions and chaos. And to that, I want to charge us today to remember the river. <laughs> remember the river. Go to the river of living water daily, regularly. Go to the river of the living water that is found in Jesus. 
Again, the way we access the Holy Spirit's power in our life is by looking to Jesus, going to his word, praying and trusting and submitting to it. And you know what's so convicting about all of this? We have all of this right in front of us. We have access to it. But yet oftentimes we're just like the Pharisees and religious leaders that want control and authority and don't want to submit to it. Oftentimes, I think if we're honest, we don't want to submit to the power of God, but rather we want to control the power of God. Because the hard thing about the river of living water, the hard thing about accessing the Spirit of God in our life that brings life and quenches our thirst is that it comes through trust and submission to God and His Word and the Spirit's direction in our life. It doesn't come through greater knowledge. It doesn't come through controlling everything and maintaining authority over life. No, the eternal source of living water that brings full life, that brings joy and love and peace and patience, it comes through submitting to Jesus and His Word and submitting to the Spirit of God in our life. Yes, absolutely, we have to know the truths of God. But we must also submit to them and obey them. Y'all, obedience to God doesn't come through white-knuckling, grit your teeth, doing more, trying harder. No, it comes through submission. It comes through just giving up control and yielding to Jesus, even when we don't fully understand it. Y'all, to help make sense of this, I want you to imagine with me, okay, <laughs> uh, that a billionaire hands you a credit card that you have unlimited access to and she says, use it however you wish, maybe uh, without, any, without any strings attached for payback. But she gives you one stipulation. You can only use it on the weekends. Uh, and you're thrilled by the gesture. You love the gesture. But yet because of that one stipulation, you start to question whether she's truly a billionaire. Uh, because you want to use it on Mondays. Because you love shopping on Mondays. And now you have to give up shopping on Mondays. You don't like it, you're mad about it, and you don't trust it. You start to think, why couldn't she just write me a check? Why can't I use it on Mondays? Doesn't she know that the weekends are crazy and chaotic for shopping? I don't want to shop on the weekends. That's just not fun for me. Maybe even wondering, what, will I owe her something later, or will she give me a shopping list? Like, I really don't like shopping lists. And all the questions just ensue. And you don't like it because you don't have control. And you don't trust it because it didn't come the way you wanted it. And so you don't use it. And you just take it and go and place it on the dresser and keep shopping on Mondays with your own card that you can control. Now I get a hunch, now if that were the case, uh, you'd have a few people maybe calling you a fool. Uh, and I get it, it is a silly illustration, but yet the reality is that's how we are with the Spirit of God. We have access to full life in the Spirit, but yet we often struggle with how we access it because it requires submission and we just set it on the shelf and go to a different source. Y'all, following Jesus and His Spirit, it often requires us to say, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Everything seems crazy and chaotic, but yet in all of that, we have to say, I trust you. Jesus, have your way with me. And you know what? That's really hard. <laughs> like just, that's hard. New City Church, we have access to the non-anxious presence of Jesus through his spirit found in his word. But let's ask ourselves, are we going to Jesus, the river of life, to satisfy us? Or are we going to a different source? Are we going to a broken cistern like we saw uh, the prophet Jeremiah point out? 
while there are so many sources that we can go to instead of Jesus, are we going to the source of financial stability or job or education success or relational status or ease of life or food or substance abuse or sex or body image or entertainment or fill in the blank? Well, there's so many different sources and broken cisterns we go to when our souls are thirsty. We saw today that religious leaders, they went to power and control. And maybe that's one source you go to often. And you know what? And eventually led them to crucify and kill their source of life. Again, we have access to a never-ending source of life. We have access to a source of continual calm and peace. And in the midst of our chaos and questions, we need to ask, what will we go to? Will we drink from the river? Listen, if you're full of questions, if you're skeptical of Jesus, I want to invite you to drink from him today, to trust him, to see how he can refresh your soul. But listen, it will require a level of trust, trusting that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose from the dead. And putting your, by putting your faith in him, you can, you, can, you can have access to the Spirit of God, but we have to be submitted to Jesus. It requires submission to be refreshed. If you have not yet tasted it, come to him today and taste it. Drink from the river of Jesus. And that said, I want to end with this. And I actually want to go ahead and invite the band back up. Um, and you, I, actually, you guys can stand up as well with me. I've, this is, guys, I've been thinking about uh, how I'm going to end this sermon all week long. This is completely different. So if this is your first time. We don't ever, I've never done this before. Um, I've written so many different things, so many different conclusions to this sermon. But one of the things, God just kind of gave me uh, a word, uh, like two words. And so I'm like trusting in the spirit right now in a lot of ways. But I do have no doubt about it that God wants to do something through you, each of you. God wants to use each of your lives individually, personally, and he wants to do something through you. God is moving in powerful ways among us, and he will move in powerful ways among us. But I also know that he first needs to do something in you. <laughs> he needs to do something in you before he can do something through you. That's almost always the way it works. And, you know, many right now, I just know that statistically speaking, you're in some sort of wilderness experience. Like, there's some sort of wilderness going on around you. You're not really sure what's going on. We have to access the Spirit of God, and we're, we're called to come to the river. But yet, God wants to work through us, but yet, what do we do? And you're in this wilderness experience. There's like a, a longing, a sadness. Maybe there's some sort of grief. I don't know what it is. Questions, chaos, life. There's a wilderness experience that many of us are experiencing right now. I have no doubt about it. And the word that God just kind of put on my heart to end this sermon, I don't know where this is coming from, but this is what I believe to be true. He's calling you to come and just sit at the river. <laughs> sit at the river. <laughs> like we see the river. There's a river flowing of life. There's a river of life that we have access to. There's a never-ending eternal source of life that we have access to. We just need to sit. Sit by the river. <laughs> Be refreshed and drink. Like we, we often think we're parched or we're not really sure what to do. And maybe, maybe we're not thirsty when we come to the river. And maybe it's because we're being quenched by a different source. Come to the river and drink. There is a spirit of God 
uh, inside of you, if you have trusted in Jesus, the Spirit of God is living inside each and every single one of you that's calling him to come to you. Come to him and just drink. I pray for this year ahead of us. Y'all, I've been praying so hard that God would use us in powerful ways. But God, again, he, before he can work through us, he has to first work in us. And we have to come to the river and just sit and be satisfied. That's my prayer for y'all, for each of us, for our church, that we would sit and be satisfied at the river of Jesus. So let me pray. God, you're good. God, we need you. Father, would we find satisfaction in Jesus? No other source. There's so many other sources and broken cisterns that we want to go to, but Father, just would we sit by the river of Jesus and, and be, find access to the river uh, of the Spirit that's flowing inside of us? God, would we just come to it and sit continually, daily, and be satisfied by the river? God, we are desperate for it. Father, we love you and we need your help. We ask this all in Jesus' name.